If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter number 2 as we can continue our study through this book of James and really trying to understand what is genuine Christianity and how does that really change our lives and how does that affect really what we do, what we think and uh, the choices that we make in life. And so we've been learning as James has been writing to those that have had to be scattered out of Jerusalem because of persecution. He has written to them about what real faith does when facing trials in life, uh, what real faith thinks when looking at this life, uh, what real faith can bring as a reward as we live by faith. And by the way, that wasn't something that James was the first to talk about or to say. Uh, back in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel said, the just shall live by faith. Faith has always been the way in which we live as those that follow what the Word of God says, what it teaches. Faith has always been the means of uh, not just receiving the grace of God, but living by that faith. All right, so it's, it's, it's so important for us to, uh, to remember and to understand uh, that faith must be real in our lives if it's going to uh, make any kind of difference at all. And then James, there starting in verse number 19, began to really challenge on what actions uh, come as a result of faith. We, we said the action of application, the, the uh, action of receiving God's word, hearing God's word, doing God's word. And so uh, we find that James is here challenging those people to say, listen, as we have faith in your life, it ought to produce something. Faith shouldn't be just something we talk about. It, it should be something that we live out, something that others can see in our life. And so James is here. He's, he's really hitting every aspect about what faith produces in the life of a person. And so as you start into chapter 2 of James, we find uh, him starting to connect even more uh, faith in everyday life. I told you that the book of James is one that is just very practical. I, I like James a lot because uh, he, he really tries to connect these big ideas, right? These big, important truths about God, and he connects them to our everyday life. Uh, he says it shouldn't just be something that we kind of uh, understand theoretically. It ought to be something that we experience uh, in our life. And so... James is kind of going in that direction, and, and he makes another really big practical application. And, and so that's why I've titled today's message, uh, Faith is Colorblind, because it really is. Faith truly is colorblind, and I'll explain what I mean as we read through James chapter number 2. We're going to read from verse number 1 all the way down to verse number 13. And as we read this passage, before we read it, I want you to understand this truth. And we're going to be talking and expounding on it this morning. Real faith treats everyone equally. Real faith treats everyone equally. We, we left off last week in verse 27. Uh, let's jump up there real quick if you have your Bible uh, there. Look at chapter 1, verse 27, the last verse. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Uh, we found that uh, there's an action here of going and meeting the needs around us. Real faith looks for the needs around us. And you can almost uh, look at it as that, that positive spin of what faith ought to lead us to do. But in meeting those needs around us, we cannot be... Uh, discriminatory in saying, well, I'll meet this person's needs, but not this person's needs. James knew this was a reality. This was something that, uh, that existed even back in his day. And he's saying, listen, as you're thinking about the actions of meeting people's needs, sometimes you, you'll find that there are times in your life where meeting someone's need really isn't that difficult. Because you know that person, because you love that person, because you have a relationship with them, or you see uh, the need that they're in and, and uh, you, you kind of sympathize with them or you empathize with them. 
easily during that time, James said, if you just look at the widows and orphans and just look at the condition they're in in their life, it's, it's easy to say, man, I, I want to help there. I want to be a blessing there. I want to do all I can to meet the needs there. But he says it shouldn't be limited just to those that we sympathize and empathize with. It shouldn't be just limited to those people that we like. No, no. See, this, this uh, action of meeting needs comes from a real faith. And a real faith treats everyone equally. Because the reality is everyone has needs. Everyone has needs. And so this is the idea that James is thinking about and talking about. And I want you to notice in verse number one that he's talking to the church specifically. He's not talking about society in general. He's not talking about the Roman government that was in power during this time. He wasn't saying, hey, Caesar, how about y'all get some policies that help uh, some of us here in in the society, here in our city or, or here in our area. Uh, He doesn't address himself to those powers that be. He actually addresses himself to the church. He says, my brethren, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. In other words, with favoritism, with discrimination. He says, for if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing. By the way, their gay clothing is nice clothing. It's, it's, it's a term, obviously, that we don't use that way anymore, but I thought I'd explain that for the younger generation. It just means a very nice, fashionable, trendy clothes. And he says unto them, sit thou in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou there, sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves? And are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken or listen to me. My beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the, that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Let's pray. Father, as we jump into this passage of Scripture, I pray that first of all you would fill me with your spirit. Father, there's nothing that I have of worth to say this morning, but there's a whole lot that you have to say to us I pray that I'd be used as an instrument in your hands today to simply share the message that you have for us in this passage of Scripture. I pray not only that you would fill me with your spirit so that I might give the message you have laid on my heart, but I pray that your spirit would would put away any distraction that we might have in our minds right now. I pray that... You would bind the devil and his demons that we might not uh, be distracted in a way that that seed of your word would be taken out, but that, Father, we would be completely focused on what you are trying to say and what you want to tell us this morning. May we be not just hearers of your word, though real faith does hear your word, but I pray that we would be doers also, that we would apply it into our lives, that we would live it out for others to see. I ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Real faith treats everyone equally. Tony Evans, the pastor of Oak Ridge, uh, Oak Cliff Church there in Dallas, shared his thoughts one time about being at Tom Landry's uh, funeral. In fact, uh, 
Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans is the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys, and he's been the chaplain for, I think, over 30 years now. And as the chaplain, of course, he knows the organization very well. And being there at the funeral of Tom Landry, he said it was, it was something to uh, really just be a part of and experience because uh, Tom Landry was a born-again Christian. He was a man that had a lot of success on the football field, a man that was very uh, well known as one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. And, uh, and so at his funeral, as people came to speak about Tom Landry, he said it was just, it was amazing to be there and just hear the words that they shared. He said, uh, Tony Evans said this, he said, I was amazed at some of the testimonies I, I heard as I participated in the funeral. He said, especially one testimony by one of the black players. This player said that he would have come even if he had not been asked to speak. He went on to explain how during the 60s, when society was still very racially divided, he always knew that when he came to the Cowboys football camp, this coach would treat him fairly. One African-American player after another came up and said that they knew Landry to be a fair man at a time when the culture was unrighteous. What did this man have to show for it, he says, 20 years of winning and going to heaven with a good name. He didn't let what was happening in society mess with his team and the way that he treated them. That is high praise from someone. That's high praise to, to know that when you're looked at, you're looked at as a man that treats others fairly, that does not discriminate against other people. And here James is saying to Christians, He's saying, listen, my brethren, those of you that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to not be known as someone that is discriminating against others. You ought not to be known as someone that is prejudiced against others, but we ought to, in our faith, treat others equally. So this morning, I want to just share two truths that James talks about in this passage as a challenge uh, to those that he is speaking to as a challenge to those that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to uh, notice, first of all, the first truth that he shares is this, of the sin of discrimination. The sin of discrimination. Now, if there's a sin that has plagued much of our world and much of our history as mankind, it's been this sin of discrimination. Discrimination is defined as the unjust or prejudicial treatment of of people based on the grounds of race, age, or sex. In other words, we treat them differently because they're not like us. We treat them differently because they're not the same race as we have, or they're not the same age, or, or we just treat them differently because we don't like them. And as long as there's been societies in this world, this problem has existed. This is not something that only started in 1950 in America. Listen, you can go back thousands of years and you'd find that there's discrimination in every society. It's part of the fallen nature of man because we are sinful in our birth, because we're sinful in our nature. This is just how we act. It's a natural uh, reaction of sin in our life. And so as far back in history as you want to go, there's always been discrimination. No matter what country you visit, no matter what people or what race, it always has been part of society. So James being pretty familiar with this, listen, even in, in the Israelite society, all right, even in Jewish society, you found that Jewish uh, people were very discriminant against people that were not Jewish, okay? Uh, they, were, they were saying, well, I, I can't... Uh, be around Gentile people. I don't want to tolerate the Gentile people. And, and James is trying to teach them, listen, that's not the attitude that you ought to have as a follower of Jesus Christ. So he starts off in this uh, sin of discrimination with, first of all, an exhortation. Right there in verse number one, he gives us this exhortation. He says, listen, we should not call ourselves people who believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, and then discriminate against people. The exhortation is, you shouldn't do that. that. That takes away from the glory of who Jesus is. That's why he reminds them of Jesus' glory. He says, my brethren, he said, those that have that faith, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, and have respect of persons. In other words, don't have this discrimination, this favoritism that way, and call yourself a Christian. 
Because by doing that, you're actually bringing shame to the glory of God. You're taking away from the glory of who Jesus is and what he did. He said, you have to understand, this is the exhortation. People that believe in Jesus ought not to discriminate against those who do not. He says, the two are not compatible. Real faith and discrimination don't go together. So let me just say this. You hear... uh, pastors. And by the way, this has been in in, in the history of our country, sadly. Uh, There was a time in which uh, even here in this country, there were churches that would not allow others from a different race to come and congregate with them simply because they were not the same skin color. And James would have told those churches and those pastors, you're sinning. You're not just doing wrong. This is not just a preference issue. No, this is a sin because when you discriminate against someone You're taken away from the glory of God. You're not representing the real faith that Jesus has given you. Anyone that has that kind of thinking, anyone that has that kind of living in their life is not displaying real faith. If there's one thing that could be said about Jesus is that he did not discriminate. Listen, that's not the disciples that were saying that. Look in your notes in Matthew chapter 22. Okay, The enemies of Jesus are coming to him. The enemies of Jesus want to try to trap him in in some legal binding uh, puzzle here of of trying to trap him in his own words. But listen what they tell him before they even give him the question. They said, and they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. These are Jesus' enemies Saying, you know what we have found? You don't discriminate against anyone. We found that you treat the Pharisee, who is like high society and the Sadducees, people in power, the the centurion, that Roman governor. You treat them all the same as you do the, the poorest of the poor. Well, we've noticed that you don't discriminate according to income or anything. Background, nothing. You have no respect of persons. So when we allow this to happen in our church or in our life, we're allowing sin to come in. That's why James says, don't don't do that. Don't try to mix the two. They don't go at all. Real faith does not discriminate. Real faith in Jesus does not discriminate, discriminate against others. So after that exhortation, now he gives an example. He says, Let's just put it to you in a more practical way. He said, let's just say you come to church. And as you come to church, here comes in a rich guy. And this rich guy is wearing a gold ring. He's dressed fashionably well. He says, and suddenly as you see them come in, you go, oh, hey, why don't you come and sit in this? This is our nicest seat. This is the best place you want to sit when coming and visiting. Here's the best seat in the house. And he says, and right behind that rich guy comes one that's poor. He's dressed in clothing that would be outdated, clothing that wouldn't be really nice, that wouldn't be trendy at all. And you tell that person, ah, listen, there's really no seats. Maybe you can stand in the back or, you know what, there's there's a seat way in the corner where you won't be seen too much. Why don't you go sit over there? James says, you see, that's discrimination. Now, I know in our society, we think of discrimination many times only as a matter of a race issue. But it's more than that. You can discriminate uh, because of incomes. You can discriminate because you just don't like that person, where they come from, their background. Uh, Listen, you you can discriminate for all kinds of things. And we, we find that James is saying, listen, one example of that is just the rich and the poor. He said, you ought not to be judging that way. There in John chapter 7, verse number 24, it says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Uh, one time when Jesus was healing someone on the Sabbath, they tried to say, oh, see, that, that's why Jesus is wrong. And Jesus says, what did I do wrong? Because I gave a blind guy his sight? Because I made a, a lame man to walk? Now I'm wrong because of that? So you're not judging righteously. You ought not to be judging by your appearance, but judge righteously. James is simply saying the same thing. So when we start 
treating people differently based on how they look, he said, there's something wrong there. That's not real faith. You're taken away from the glory of God. You're taken away from what Jesus is looking at them as someone that he died for, someone that he bled for. Anytime we act in a way that favors someone over another merely based on their social status or their race or their education, we're practicing the sin of discrimination. And James says, that shouldn't be what the church is about. That shouldn't be what we're known for. Sometimes if we're not careful in our zeal to want to serve God and to do what is right, we can begin to discriminate. We can come to church and say, man, does that guy not know where he's at? Does that lady not know where, she, where she's coming to? I can't believe they dress that way. I can't believe they talk that way. I can't believe they look that way. Listen, at this church, our attitude ought to be, man, we're welcoming to everybody. Everybody. The Bible says Jesus died for the world. He's, oh, he died for the people in Westlaco? Yeah, he did. They ought to come. People in McAllen, people in Mission, people in Palmview, people in La Jolla, yeah, they ought to come. Oh, how about this guy? He, I, I heard that he was, he was a drunk on the weekends. He should come. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden. Just, just come. You see, the, the fact of the matter is this church is for everyone. We ought not to discriminate and say, oh, well, you know, they're not really part of our group. That's why uh, the Word of God is against cliques in church. Oh, that's just my clique. Now, listen, there are people we're going to have better relationships with, obviously. God is not saying, oh, we're, we're going to have a personal relationship with everybody and everyone's going to be our best friend. No, no, the, the Bible's not teaching that. But he's saying, listen, when we start excluding people from being part of our group just because, well, they don't think like me. And I notice their home is not like my home. I don't, I don't know. I, mm-mm then we're getting to a discriminatory lifestyle. The church is not to be that. The church is to welcome. James says we ought to treat everyone equally because real faith does that. The faith of Jesus Christ does that. And then he gives an explanation. He gives the exhortation, don't be that way, don't live that way. Here's an example of when that happens. And let me explain why this is so important. He explains why this way of living is wrong and uh, sinful. First, it says, it dishonors those whom God has honored. We're looking at them as less than us, less important, less valuable. And God says, no, 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 all of them are valuable. I died for each and every person in this world. They're precious to me. When we begin to discriminate that way, well, it dishonors what God has honored. It's important to note, by the way, if you read the Gospels, that it was the poor that began to receive the preaching of Christ first. Uh, Notice in Matthew, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew Levi is his name. He writes this, he said, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Something that they they were receptive of. He said, don't dishonor them just because they're not up to your social status, just because they're not up to your way of living. He says, don't. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. I put this in your notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, all the way down to verse 29. He reminds the church at Corinth. He says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, that nothing take away from the glory of God. That's why he's chosen the weak. That's why he's even chosen the poor. He's just simply saying this. God does not discriminate against any. The Bible says God 
is love, for God so loved. Not for God loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that whosoever, doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your income, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter what country you come from, doesn't matter the history that you have, whosoever shall believe on him shall have eternal life. Now, on the other hand, James says, don't just forget that the poor is something that God uses. Some, uh, God honors those. He says, but also take this into account, that many times it is the rich that normally oppress the people of God. Listen, we don't think as, uh, and we know this as citizens, we know that the people in government, they're not suffering to get like their next paycheck. Most of them live in nice private neighborhoods with, with fences. And by the way, I'm not against government. I'm not against them making their money. I hope they do. I hope they live well and prosper. I'm not, I'm not saying that this message isn't to say you can't be rich or, or be well off or have wealth. Listen, Abraham was probably the wealthiest man in the world at the time in which he lived. God's not against wealth. Let me just make that clear in case someone's thinking, oh, you're a social justice warrior. I, I'm, no, I'm simply saying that James says, just remember though, those in that power, okay, those that, that have that kind of power are usually the ones that try to oppress the people of God. And sometimes we're trying to curry favor with someone that has and wants nothing to do with God. He said, most of the time, they're not the only ones oppressing the people of God. They're blaspheming against God himself. By the way, some of the richest people in the United States live in a city called Hollywood, California. If you want to see some of the biggest blasphemies on Twitter or on Facebook or on whatever other social media, you'll find that many of the actors that live in these areas blaspheme God more than anyone. And James says, hey, careful when you start discriminating, thinking, oh, I can get something from them or these people are worthy of that. He says, don't forget that many of them, they oppress the people of God. They blaspheme the name of Jesus. He says, sometimes we just hold them up so high as if they are worthy to be followed after. I talk with this uh, with our teens all the time. Listen, uh, there are movies and actors you go, man, that was a great movie. I, I really uh, enjoyed the movie. But I would say, I hope my son doesn't grow up and live like Tom Cruise. I really wouldn't want that. If I could just be honest with you. There's a lot of actors there I'd say, I hope they don't live that way. You can enjoy a movie or a story without saying, man, I, I want to follow that example. And yet there are many in our society today that if an actor says it, oh, that must be true. An actress says that we got to follow after them. And I think, why? That, that's what James is simply trying to remind his congregation of. At this time, there were many that were like that. There were many that were favoring the rich against the poor. And they were acting in a, in a way that would discriminate against them. Throughout history, as I said, it's not just been a discrimination of social status and economic status. It's been of race many times. We've experienced that even in the last five years we've seen this. So the sin of discrimination, God, God says clearly in his word, there's a sin of discrimination that we need to avoid. So James gives us an exhortation, an example, an explanation as to why this is not something that we should live after and do. But what I love about James, like I said, he's supremely practical. He doesn't just point out like what the sin is and how, how to, to identify it. But then he gives us the solution to discrimination. The solution. What do we do to overcome discrimination in our lives, in our society? Well, first he shares what the key is. In verse uh, number 8, here's the key to overcoming discrimination. 
And that is by fulfilling the royal law. He says, if ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, and then he shares what that royal law is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. This law is short and simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. Nothing too hard to understand, nothing too difficult to comprehend, but something very difficult to apply, is it not? I've noticed that as people, we, we don't naturally have this thinking like when we're driving home and we see a big cloud, right? Uh, and there's a fire and, and, and you're pulling into your neighborhood and you're going, oh man, that's in the area of the neighborhood where I live. And then you go and start uh, going down the street and then you get and turn onto your street and you see the fire even bigger and you get to where the fire is at. None of us say, oh, I'm glad it's my house and not my neighbor's. <sighs> I was worried there. None of us. Most of the time, it's, oh, I'm glad it wasn't my house. I hope I can help the neighbor out. And yet the scriptures teach us, listen, the way that you overcome discrimination is having more love for your neighbor than you have, naturally. Love him the way you love yourself. You see, if we just simply loved people, we would never need rules and policies and laws on how to treat them. It's funny, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, when uh, Paul is talking about marriage and he's talking to uh, the husbands that they are to love their wives and, and give themselves for them uh, as Christ gave himself for the church. I love what he says in verse 29. He says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. He said, no man has ever said, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to take care of myself. I don't want to make sure that I'm doing okay or I look okay. He said, naturally, we know how to do that. You know why? You know why nobody needs to tell you that you need to comb your hair and you want to dress nice and you want to look nice? No one ever had to tell you to do that. We do that on our own because we love ourselves. We love ourselves. And yet the scripture teaches, listen, Love your neighbor that same way. If you loved your neighbor the same way, no one would ever have to teach you how to treat your neighbor. <laughs> love would do that all on its own. You know what our world is lacking? Love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love forgives others. Love confronts others. Love encourages others. Love edifies others. But you know why there's discrimination in our society? Because of a lack of love. He said the key, James said, the key to this is understanding this royal law is love your neighbor as yourself. You do that and it's going to be amazing. Amazing how discrimination will just disappear. By the way, that's why it's insane to me that our nation wants to try to drive the Bible and the truth of God's word out of our society. They don't want prayer in schools. They don't want the Bible in school. But they want kids to love one another. They can't without the scriptures. The way we know love is because God first loved us. If we can teach our children that God loves us and what that means, then they'll know how to love one another. Then discrimination disappears. But until that happens... Just be honest, church. It's going to continue. You say, oh, no, 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 Pastor. Black Lives Matter. That's going to change everything. It ain't going to change anything. Because we need the scriptures to change us. We need the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Then we can solve the problem. That's the key. But notice, not just the key, the conviction. There's just no getting out of it. If we do not treat others with love, then we're guilty of breaking the law of God. By the way, I love the way that we kind of rank our sin. Anybody else do that? I, I know I do that all the time. It's just my fallen nature, but I do this all the time. You know, I'll, I'll say, no, 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 I'm not a liar. I mean, I, I told a white lie, right? It wasn't a big lie. It wasn't the worst lie. It was just a white lie. Trying to make ourselves feel like it wasn't so bad. You ever said, I borrowed this from them. 
I didn't tell them, but I just borrowed it from them. You mean you stole? No, 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 I didn't steal. I didn't steal. I borrowed it. Did you ask them? Well, I didn't ask them. I didn't tell them. I mean, I'll do it later. I mean, you stole. Right? We, we try to like dumb it down just a little bit so we're not so bad. James says, listen, look at the reality. Okay? A white lie makes you a liar. Borrowing something without permission makes you a thief. That's just simple. James says, this is, listen, you're convicted by the law. Okay? You're, you're guilty because of this. This is why 1 John, there in your notes, 1 John 3, 4, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. <laughs> it's really simple. He defines what sin is, breaking God's law. That's sin. And so he says, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? You're breaking God's law. Now, I think this is important because this wasn't a new teaching. In fact, if you were growing up and going to the synagogue, going to the temple uh, there uh, in, the, uh, in the Jewish uh, uh, time, in the Jewish uh, temple, uh, you would have been taught by the rabbis. Hey, listen, if you, if you break one law, you're guilty of the law and, and uh, you're not doing right. But then they added to that teaching along the way. They would say, but, but if you're breaking like a small law, right? But you're keeping the bigger laws, then you're really keeping God's law. Then you're really doing okay. You're not that bad. They actually would teach that. They would say, listen, as long as you're not committing adultery, you're okay. Okay, okay so you have some bad thoughts when you look at women. It's okay. Listen, that's, that's, that's just normal. Uh, as long as you're not committing adultery. Okay, listen, you hate your neighbor because he's a jerk and they're, they're the worst. Okay, as long as you're not killing them, you're keeping the law. You're fine. They literally had loopholes to try to say, I'm not that bad. If you read in the Gospels, that's what the Pharisees was telling Jesus all the time. Remember the rich young ruler? He said, what must I do to, to, to have eternal life? Jesus said, well, what do you read? Oh, I read, you know, honor my mother and father and do not steal. And he said, oh, okay, keep those and you will have eternal life. And he said, well, I've, I've done that. And Jesus said, oh, really? You've done that. He said, okay, then sell all you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And he says he went away sad because he had many possessions. He couldn't even be honest with himself of who he was. Oh, I'm not that bad. He was holding on to that teaching. Well, I mean, I really haven't killed anyone. Maybe I hate people. Maybe I don't love them the way I should. But hey, at least I'm avoiding the big sins. James says, listen, you're guilty of that sin. You're guilty. You're a lawbreaker. Even if you break the smallest law, even if you say, well, I did that. You're a lawbreaker. And that's why he gives this this truth in that way it gives the conviction. But I want you to notice lastly this morning, he gives the correction. The great news is that we don't have to stay in that sin. You can correct it. That's what's amazing about the law of liberty. He says in verse number 12, so speak ye, all right, that's how we talk, and so do, that's how we live, the actions the attitude, and the action. So speak ye and do also, or so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now the law of liberty here is the law of grace. For those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, you have received the grace of God. And now the life you live is by the Spirit and the grace of God in you. Now I want to make a really clear distinction here. In the Old Testament the law that was given was known as the law of Moses. The law of Moses had this one purpose in it, to condemn you. The law of Moses was to point out, Paul said this, he said, I wouldn't have known sin unless the law told me that I was breaking the sin. If God doesn't give us what his law is, then we would not know we are transgressors. That's how we know that we're sinners. When you go back to the law and it says, thou shalt not lie, oh, that's how I know I'm a liar, <laughs> Because God said, thou shalt not lie. The law of Moses, all right, condemns us. But the law of liberty liberates us. 
There's a huge difference in it. The law of Moses was to tell you what you're not doing. The law of grace tells you what you should and have the power to do. It's the grace of God that allows you now to do righteousness. The law of Moses told us this is how unrighteous you are. This is how bad you are. The law of liberty says this is how good it can be. This is the righteousness that you ought to live after. This is what God has empowered you to do. God's not asking you to treat everyone equally in your own power because you can't. But the law of liberty gives us that way of righteousness. That's why in first, or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, you can read it. We're running low on time, but you can find as, as Peter encourages believers to say, this is, this is what the law of liberty does. This is what grace does in your life. It adds things like patience and kindness and love and godliness and knowledge. This is what the grace of God does. It keeps you on a righteous path. That's what the law of liberty does. It's a law of mercy. Well, Moses' law was a law of condemnation and judgment, the law of liberty is mercy and righteousness. And so James is here simply saying, listen, what makes the difference? How are we going to overcome discrimination in our own life? How are we going to find uh, the, the way to love one another? Mercy. Mercy. He says, you see, if you treat people mercifully, they'll treat you mercifully. When you lack mercy in your life, others will lack giving you mercy for you. When we treat others with no mercy, then mercy will be withheld from us. But when mercy is given and shown, it overcomes any and all discrimination, and there is joy in that. Mercy rejoiceth against judgment, James said. I mean, can you imagine how great our world would be if people just loved one another? Having no discrimination, no hate, people forgiving one another, being patient with one another, living a life that is righteous and making good choices. <laughs> it would be awesome. It would be unbelievable. It would be a wonderful world. James says, listen, it might be that we can't get all the discrimination out of La Jolla High School or Palm View High School. We might not be able to get it out of the city council of McAllen or of Mission. But here's what you can do. You can get it out of the church. He said, this is, this is who I'm talking to. Once again, he's not talking to Caesar. He's not talking to the local government there in Jerusalem. He's talking to those that have been scattered. Those that call themselves Christian. Those that say, I have the faith of Jesus Christ in my life. He says, then that's who I'm talking to. How about you today? Do you love your neighbor more? Is mercy a part of your life and the way that you treat others? This morning, God's word is pretty direct. We've seen what the sin of discrimination is and what the solution is. So how do we apply it? Well, first, as we do, as we learned last week, we are to hear the word and receive the word, right? So let's hear the word, okay? This is what God thinks about discrimination. Let's receive it and say, if God says discrimination is sin, it's sin. That's settled. And then we got to apply it. James said, apply it into your life. So the question this morning is, have you been discriminating against others? Has there been times in your life where you haven't really been showing love? Love to your neighbor? Are we treating others the way we would want to be treated? 
Let me ask you something. I mean, I know this happens so much. We, we come into church and sometimes we'll leave and we'll say, man, nobody shook my hand. My question would be, so how many hands did you go and shake? See, mercy goes. Real faith leads me not to be discriminating and judging people. Oh, I can't believe they looked at me that way. I can't believe they talked. No, 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 no. I'm going to go and say hi. Man, I'm glad you're here at church. Man, isn't this place awesome? I just walk in and I feel better already. People that love me, people that are excited to see me, I'm excited to see them. That's what church ought to be. It's amazing. We, we, we go and, and watch the Astros or the Mavericks play and nobody goes, I can't believe all these 22,000 people. Why can't it just be me and my family? No, we get in the crowd and we're like, yeah, you're a Mavs fan? I'm a Mavs fan too. Yeah, all right. I mean, we'll paint our face, we'll jump up and down, we'll be screaming, we'll say, man, it was awesome to be at that game. Man, that was a memorable game. I mean, it was so awesome. I remember being in college and going to, to see Kobe Bryant play a couple times, and oh, man, Kobe's the man, and it, it was just, what an atmosphere in there. Can I say James is saying, that's what church ought to be. The church ought to be where we say, yes, fans, all fans, come on in, come on in. It's going to be awesome. We're just glad you're here. We're going to show mercy. We're not going to discriminate, but we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. So are you treating others that way? We must examine ourselves and correct the wrong thinking. Act by loving others and show mercy. And so my challenge this week is simply, hey, let's go be a solution this week. Okay, we can all get on, you know, social media and complain about, you know, President Biden's decisions or the G7 summit or whatever. We can all complain about that. I understand. Doesn't mean we have to be happy about what they're doing, the decisions they're making. But I'm just wondering how many of us are just going to say, I'm going to be a solution this week. Instead of talking about the problems, I'm going to try to see if we can start solving some of these things. Because it's always so much easier to talk about problems than it is to solve problems. But James says you and I ought to be solving problems. We ought to be living by mercy. Oskar Schindler was a German industrialist during World War II, of course, there in Germany. As a businessman, he, he had a lot of factories there in, in Germany. And one a factory was called Amalia. And there in that factory, he had employed over 1,000 Jews. And of course, during that time, the Nazi party actually ruled Germany. And believe it or not, Oskar Schindler was a member of the Nazi party. But in 1939, when they invaded Poland and they began to push their agenda, Oskar Schindler understood that what they were doing to discriminate against Jews and literally gas them and torture them and beat them and light them on fire and do all kinds of wickedness and violence against them. He knew that that was wrong. And so Oscar decided to take a lot of his wealth. In fact, all of it as you look at history after. And he began to bribe different German officers they wouldn't take those employees that, that were his, that were Jews. I mean, for all 1,000 that were there in his factory, he was paying continually of his own money that they would not be taken to any concentration camp. In fact, it came to a point where uh, when they were trying to shut his factory down, he said, uh, he told the German government, he said, no, 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 we're going to be in our factory. We're going we're gonna to uh, make ammunition for the war. You can't shut us down. I mean, don't we need bullets for the, to win the war? And they said, oh, okay. He only made one wagon load of bullets, okay, in the time that he was, just one wagon load. But he said, we're an ammunition factory. You can't really come in. I can't have these workers leave. Kept bribing and giving uh, money to the officers. And in those four years or five years of the war, he was able to save more than 1,200 Jews from torture and death. Simply because he decided to show mercy. Simply because he said, I want to be part of the solution. He's one of the few that is buried in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. They gave him a medal that said, 
a Gentile of righteous, of righteousness, I think is what it's, the title of the medal is. It's given to those that made a difference and saved the lives of Jews. And in Israel, he's revered for a man that made a difference. 1992, I think it was, or 93, the movie uh, was made about his life called Schindler's List. Because during that time, he actually made a list where he had to write down all the names of those that worked for him that were Jews in the factory, and he had to pay those bribes to keep them alive. He died penniless, lost all his fortune, simply because he wanted to be a solution. This morning, I don't know about you, but I want to challenge you. Be a solution. Why does it cost me everything? Then it costs you everything. Love your neighbor as thyself. That's what's going to overcome discrimination. That's what's going to make the difference in our city. Let's be the solution. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this truth that, that you share with us. Father, discrimination is a sin that has not just overtaken our society, but in many, in many ways it's overtaken church. And Father, I pray that that would not be what reigns here in our local church. I pray that the hearts of your people here at Bethany Baptist Church would be a heart that loves others. A heart that says, I don't want to practice any kind of discrimination and one that would say, Holy Spirit, would you lead me and guide me and speak to me and show me areas in my life where I might be discriminatory. And forgive me of that and help me to love others. Love those that look different than me, that maybe think different than me. Help me to show mercy and not judgment. Help me to love them and show them that real faith loves Real faith shows mercy. Real faith is the solution to the problem. Oh, Father, may we make the decision this morning to be a people that is part of a solution. Help us this morning to really, truly apply your word, to be honest with ourselves. Because I believe if we are, we can all say there have been times where we have been discriminatory. forgive us. Make us new, I pray. Cleanse us by your blood and help us to truly live a life that is spirit-filled, to live after the law of liberty and in righteousness love one another as we ought and show mercy so that we might overcome that sinful habit, that sinful, wicked practice of discrimination. Help us to live for you, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Good job.